Welcome to this week's message from Pastor Jeff Spooniebarger of Story Point Church, located in the heart of Gulf Breeze, Florida. And now, here's Pastor Jeff Spooniebarger for this week's message from Story Point Church. Open your Bibles, if you will, to Galatians. Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. Um, I am told that as you get older, and I'm finding this to be true, that as you get older, your body rebels against you. That's the best way I could say it. And, and the older you get, the more it wants to rebel, and so you're just constantly dealing with it. Well, um, I'm always hesitant to share a medical condition from the stage because I always get lots of people's opinions, so I, I'm, I'm fine with that. I'll give you my opinion, too, if you want it. But um, I went to the doctor not too long ago because I have this condition. <laughs> now you're like, ooh, what's wrong with the preacher man? No, it's actually not that bad. I mean, it's bad, but it's not like I'm going to die or something. I mean, eventually I'm going to die, but not like from the condition unless the condition doesn't get better. But that's not really true. I just want to die because what it is is I've got this place on my leg that just itches. And so for the last longest time, I've been scratching and scratching and scratching. I've scratched so much that it actually starts to bleed and then it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. So I went to this doctor who's a dermatologist and he sat down and he put his thing of a jiggies on, you know, those funny looking glasses that magnify stuff. And he's poking and prodding. He goes, mm hmm, yep, yeah, mm hmm, uh, yeah, mm hmm, mm, yep, you have psoriasis. I'm like, isn't that with the liver? He says, no, that's cirrhosis. This is, this is different. I mean, I, I was confused. He goes, no, it's, it's psoriasis, and it's a condition that just out of nowhere appears a lot of times when you get older. I don't know if anybody deals with this, but I've been researching it, and I've been trying to figure out how do I fix it, what do I do, because it is driving me nuts. See, the thing is, it's, it's, a, it's an itch, and what do you do when you have an itch? You scratch, but you know the problem with that. When you scratch, your body says, oh, I'm being scratched. Let's release some histamines. So it itches more, which makes you scratch more, which makes your body go, oh, we're getting more. So let's ask for more. And it's this constant cycle over and over and over and over and over that eventually drives you insane. And so I said, Doc, what do I do? He said, <clears throat> don't scratch. I said, well, thank you. Here's your hundred bucks. I'll go. <laughs> no, yeah, man, I got some medicine, but, but it's true because it's that simple. The way you fix it is to don't scratch because scratching causes it to get worse. Now, the medicine will help, but, but, but it was this perfect picture in that moment of the way that we wrestle as human beings with this thing called the flesh. You know, we've been talking about desires for the last couple of weeks. And a desire is a want. It's an ambition. It's something that you move towards. It's something you, you, you chase after. It's something that drives you. It's your motivation. And we all have basic desires, right? We have these basic things that we desire, and that's a good thing, because if we didn't have any desire, we would sit there and stare into space and do nothing. Like, I, I wrestle with desires for washing the dishes. Very rarely does that desire win, 
Normally, I resist it. I, I cast that demon out, and I try not as best like. But I mean, we have all these desires, but, but there are, I've talked about three main desires that we wrestle with. You remember what they are? We desire wealth. We desire to have prosperity stuff. I mean, I don't know many people at all that are like, nah, I'd rather have nothing. I mean, most of us have this desire, this ambition for stuff, and that's not an unholy thing. In fact, desire is amoral. There's no morality in desire itself. The morality comes when, it, when, we, when, when we recognize where the heart of that desire is or the motivation of that desire. So desire for wealth could be a holy thing if my heart and my desire is, is coming from a place of wanting to be some, uh, wanting to influence the kingdom of God and wanting to use that to leverage that uh, wealth for the kingdom of God, that, that's a good thing, and, and there shouldn't be any shame in that. Does that make sense? But if I want wealth so that I can buy boats and planes and enjoy my life and that's all about me, then that is an unholy desire. It's, it's, it's not about the desire, it's about the reason for it. So we also talked about desire for importance. Everybody wants a name. Now, not everybody wants to be on stage, but everybody wants to be noticed. Everybody wants to know that they exist, at least in somebody else's eyes. And we do all kinds of things to make sure people notice us. We, we cry for attention in a lot of different ways, right? That's not a holy or an unholy desire in and of itself. It's the reason that we have that desire that makes it right or wrong. The thing today, though, is probably the most vicious of all of our desires, it's the desires of the flesh. And I say vicious because just like an itch, it is something that never seems to stop. You ever notice how you can be doing great and then one little thing will turn you to serving the flesh? And after a while you're like, how did I get here? I thought I loved Jesus. I thought that we were, we were walking right. And how, how did I wind up in this pit? It's because the desires of the flesh are never ending. It's like a rabid dog that is constantly chasing you. Anybody else wrestle with this? This is the human condition. And it gets to the point where we feel either like we've whipped it, like we're good, like we don't have to worry about it anymore. And the Bible says, be careful if you think you stand strong, because that's when you're most vulnerable. Then the other side would go, you know what, I can't beat this. I might as well just succumb to it and just do whatever, right? And that's being defeated, and that's not who you are if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. What Galatians tells us is this. There is a constant Battle. There is a constant wrestling between the flesh and the spirit, and they are completely opposed to each other. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. Let me tell you one of the reasons why this is so important for you if you are a follower of Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus, then you have taken on the name of Jesus as your name. So when people see you, they think they're looking at Jesus. Now, they obviously know that they're not looking at Jesus himself, but here's what they say. That's what a Christian is. That's what a believer believes. And do you remember last week how I told you what the passage was? It was Mark chapter 10. And do you remember looking up on the screen and it said Mark chapter 9? And do you remember wondering, wait a minute, I'm confused. 
Is it nine or is it ten? Is it nine? Is it ten? Einhart, Finkel, I'm back. Thank you. I knew, Clay, you'd get that one. That's an old, old Jim Carrey joke. Sorry. My brain, I'm so sorry. You're looking at it and you're going, wait a minute, I'm confused because what he's saying doesn't match with what I'm seeing. When what we say doesn't match with what they see, they call us a what? Hypocrite. And they use that as an excuse. When I say they, I'm talking about just people who are watching our lives. They use that as an excuse either to to not want to follow Jesus or they use that as an excuse to not want to be a part of a church or they use it as an excuse. Now, to be fair, it's just an excuse. Because after all, I've never gone to the grocery store and said, you know what, time out, I'm not going in there. There's hypocrites in there. I am not going into a place where there's a bunch of hypocrites. Just not going to do it. I've never, I was going to say gone to work, but this is not work. I can't use that example. (laughs) I've never gone to the movies and say, you know what, I'm not watching that movie. Because they're a hypocrite on the screen. No, I, I recognize that there's humanity, but somehow with the church, with the people of God, there's this, there's this real sense of, I expect you to be perfect. And you know what? People don't actually expect us to be perfect as followers of Jesus. They expect us to be honest. You, you can make all kinds of mistakes, but when you're vulnerable and honest and authentic about it, most of the people watching will say, you know what? That's a real person. That's a genuine person. What they don't want is for us to claim something and then live something else and then pretend like we're not actually living something else while we're proclaiming something. That's what they're really upset about. But here's the, here's the rub. Here's the tension. You and I live in a, in, a, in a body that is unredeemed. We're living in a body that is, that is still human, that is still the flesh, and yet we have a heart and a mind that is redeemed, and so we're, we're, we're different than, so we, we have something holy, someone holy living inside of something that is unholy. So there's two things that we need to understand. There's, there's something called justification and then there's sanctifications. Justification is when you're made right with God. That's when your sin debt is canceled. Okay, so follow me here. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So in other words, every single one of us in this room has a debt of sin or or a debt because of sin. And the debt of sin or the debt for sin is death. So in other words, if I sin, if I offend God's law even one time, I have broken a relationship with God. I am not right with Him. There's a wall of hostility, and I have a penalty to pay for my sin. You say, well, how is that fair of God? I would say, well, how is that not fair of God? I mean, if God is perfect, if God is just, if God is holy, then do we really want Him to say, ah, don't worry about it. Don't worry about the law. Don't worry about just slipping up here and there. See, that's because we think that our sin is small, but our sin is not small. Our sin is ginormous. The Bible says if we offend the law at one point, we've offended the law at the whole point. So we are murderers, we are liars, we are adulterers, we are thieves, we are scandals. We are all of these things according to what the Scripture says. And you say, well, wait a minute, I've never done those things. What Jesus said, you've heard it said, but I tell you. In other words... He went from the big sin to the 
heart behind it. And he basically showed us that we are all in need of forgiveness. We're all separated from God. And because of that separation, we have a penalty to pay. We've offended the law. That, that penalty is death. Now, the Bible says there's two deaths. There's physical death and there's spiritual death. The physical death we're all going to deal with. That's our body dying. But the spiritual death is eternal separation from God in a place called hell. But when Jesus came to earth, he came for the purpose of breaking down that wall so that I would be made right with God through his sacrificial death on a cross. We're going to talk about that in a few weeks with Easter. But when he died, he paid the penalty for my sin and for your sin. Payment was made. That's why when he was on the cross, he said, it is finished. To Telestai, paid in full. So my sin debt was paid 100% in full. It's as if he went to the judge and he said, everything that he's done wrong, I am canceling that. Because I am taking the guilt from what he did on myself when I hang on the cross. So I tell you that to say, justification is when you are made right with God. It's that moment where you trust Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross. And the cross was just the pen, was his payment for the penalty. When he rose from the dead, it was a verification. It was a proof that he had the right to die for our sin. And so I am justified before God when by grace through faith I trust in Jesus. So the Bible says it's by grace you are saved through faith, not of your works, so that none of us can boast. So I'm not, I can't say, look how good I am. I made myself right with God. No, I can say I'm a dirty, rotten scoundrel saved by God's grace because of the work that he did on a cross. And so when I trust in Jesus, when I place my faith in him, the, my position in, with God shifts from an enemy to God, as the Bible says in Romans, that I'm an enemy to God. I'm shifting from an enemy to a son. So I move from outside of the family, lost, to inside of the family, found. I am, I am hopeless. I am lost. Now I am saved. I am dead. Now I am alive. And that process is called justification. I am justified before God. And that position never changes. There is a firm foundation when I'm justified in that Jesus Christ holds me as his child and I'm his for all of eternity. But here's the rub. My heart, my soul, my mind, they're they're justified. I'm, I'm in a right position with God, but this, this justified person is still living in a human, unredeemed body. Because my body isn't justified. My soul is. I'm in a right standing with God, but I'm standing in a body that still wants to do the things of the flesh. And so in Galatians chapter 5, what Paul is talking to the church about is this. He's saying there is this constant conflict that we will feel every day of our life till death do we part. In verse 16 of Galatians chapter 5, he says, I say then, 
Walk by the Spirit, and you will certainly not carry out the desire of the flesh. So there's this, this desire of the flesh. He says, for the flesh desires what is against the Spirit, and the Spirit desires what is against the flesh. These are opposed to each other, so you don't do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. So this tension we find is the, the tension that has been found all throughout Scripture. And in fact, all of Galatians is about this tension. It's the law, or it's the law, to be consistent, and it's grace. The law was given to us as a tutor. The Scripture says that it's a tutor to show us the holy requirements of God. So we don't know that we're sinful until we hold ourselves up against the law, Right? I mean, how do you know how fast you're allowed to go except that there's a speed limit? And when you see that speed limit, you look down at your, your dash and you go, oh, I'm within the law or I'm exceeding the law. If I'm within the law, I'm good. If I'm exceeding the law, I'm guilty. And if I'm guilty, then there is a punishment that is attached to that guilt should I be caught. Now, the thing about it is this. I don't actually have to see the law in print for there to be a law. Like if I'm driving down the road and I'm, I'm, I'm just minding my own business, enjoying this countryside, and I get pulled over, and the, the officer says, Sir, do you know how fast you were going? I said, No, sir. When I'm going that fast, I try not to take my eyes off the, off the road. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I don't, I don't recommend that. Um, do you know how fast you're going? Uh, no, sir. I, I don't know. By the way, you never know how fast you're going. Just, just that's a little law advice there. You never know. <laughs> um, he's he's going to say, you know, you were going past the speed limit. My excuse could be, but I didn't know there was a speed limit. And his, his response is going to be what? Sorry. Sorry. Loser. I mean, he, he's like, look, look, there's a, there's a limit. It's posted way back here just because you didn't see it, just because you didn't acknowledge it, just because you didn't pass it. There is a law that says the speed limit on this road is 55 miles an hour. And here's the thing. You don't have to see a speed limit to know how fast the law says you can go. Because when you got your license, you took a test, and in that test, there was a speed limit attached to different kinds of roads. This is what we talk about when, when the, the Scripture tells us that uh, by nature itself, we understand that there is uh, a, a this is perfect, by, but by nature itself, we understand that God exists and that there is some sort of a law, right? We're not without excuse just because we don't know a certain specific law, because we know because of nature there is obviously law. So the, the wrestling between the spirit and the flesh is where you and I live every single day. And it's frankly where most of us get trapped, tripped up Every single day. And much of our relationship with God is determined by how we're doing at this very battle. It goes like this. If the flesh is winning, I feel far away from God. If the flesh is winning, I feel disconnected from God. If the flesh is winning, I feel like God doesn't love me as much. I feel like God doesn't like me as much. Because all of those things that come with sin, the guilt, the shame, the, uh, the hiding, the covering. By the way, you know that that's what everybody does, right? They hide, they cover, and they blame. When we sin, we do exactly what Adam and Eve did. We hide, we cover, 
and then we blame. Adam, where are you? Over here. Why are you over there? Uh, I don't know. Did you have a cookie? I didn't have a cookie, right? It's that, it's that whole same thing we did as a kid. They're hiding. Well, we made fig leaves. We made clothes out of fig leaves. Why'd you do that? We cover. Well, we did that because we were naked. Well, how'd you know you were naked? She did it. <laughs> That's exactly the pattern we do today. We hide, we cover, and we blame. It's, it's the same thing over and over and over. And so what we have to realize is that in our life, we have this, this battle, and this battle of the flesh that never ends is what causes us to feel so disconnected with God. But here's the thing. We are never outside of God's love. The Bible tells us in Romans that I am convinced neither height nor depth nor principalities nor power nor the present nor the future nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love that God has through us through Christ Jesus. And it's an indisputable love. It's a love that has no boundaries. It is an agape kind of love. That is a love that is deeper than the deepest of deep. It is wider than the widest of wide, and it's more perfect than our understanding of perfect could possibly be. It's the love that God has for us, and that is the love that God has, uh, that is the love through which God has rescued us and justified us. So when we feel separate from God, it's because our relationship is not right. It's not because He has changed or, 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 or lessened His love or or attention or care for us. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is against the Spirit, the Spirit desires what is against the flesh. These are opposed to each other so that you don't do what you want. Here's the truth. The desires of the flesh are always opposed to the desires of the Spirit. Always. It is one or the other. You cannot have both. It's either light in here or it's dark in here. It cannot be both light and dark. Now, you can have different levels of how light it is, but you cannot have dark until you remove all of the light. Notice that you can't, you can't create darkness. It's not like you replace darkness. All you're doing is removing light. Why is this important? Because as a follower of Jesus, when you yield to the flesh instead of the Spirit... How much you yield is totally determined by how much of the Spirit you reject. So as you're wrestling with the flesh, as you're struggling with sin, the more you reject God's Spirit, the more you tell Him, no, I don't, la, 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 right, we do that, right? La, 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 we pretend like we don't hear Him, right? God doesn't change and He doesn't move. It's just that we've rejected and it's getting darker and darker and darker. They're completely opposed to each other because light and dark cannot occupy both places or the same space at the same time. When the scripture says, I say then walk by the Spirit, that word walk in, in the Greek, it has the understanding of walking in and continuing to progress in. So I am uh, sanctified, right? As I walk in the Spirit, what God's Spirit is doing in me is He is, I said sanctified, I meant justified. We are justified. We are made right with God. My standing, my position are, are, are that I am holy before Him. The Bible tells us that, that, 
that uh, I am the righteousness of God through Christ Jesus, right? But over here, as I'm yielding to the Spirit, as I'm walking in the Spirit, what's happening is God is sanctifying me. Sanctifying is kind of like a... Um, Kind of like a cleansing, I guess, an herbal cleansing, right? If you, have you ever done a, 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 what, don't laugh at me, I'm doing it wrong, I know. You ever done a cleansing where you're like, you know what, I'm eating too much junk, so I'm going to cut out the junk and I'm going to just start drinking water, I'm going to cut out the coffee, and no, no, we're not going to do that, that's sin. I'm going to cut out the Coca-Cola, I'm going to cut out the sugar, I'm going to cut out the milk or the flour, whatever. You ever done that? And your body rejects it, and it's like this fight, but, but as you do that, you realize that that you're, you're, you're experiencing a fresh new kind of life. When we are sanctified, that's what's happening. God is, is removing the stuff that doesn't look like him, the stuff that literally is killing us, the stuff that is offensive to him because it breaks his law, it violates his law. And as we're being sanctified, we're moving closer and closer to looking like Jesus. But here's the catch. I keep saying this, but it's true. It's not like it's a one-and-done deal. You ever notice that when you determine to live right, <laughs> to, to eat right, you get on this like focused idea, hey, I'm, I'm just going to eat right, and you're, you're looking good, and then that Twinkie starts calling your name. Like, eat me, right? You go to a party, and so they have like bags of chips and bowls of candy, and okay, the party's at my house, but um, it's, just, it's just screaming, and you're like, you're walking by it, you're going, <clears throat> right? I mean, it's just struggle. And you finally, you take one, and then you're just down the hill, right? That's what happens with sin. So you're justified, and God is sanctifying you. He is making you holy, but this making you holy thing is dependent upon how much you rely and yield to the Spirit. So instead of walking in the flesh, you need to walk in the Spirit. Easier said than done. Here's why. Because walking in the flesh is pleasurable. Got an itch? It's hard to resist the itch, but I know if I resist the itch, it will flee. The itch is the devil here. But I also know that as hard as it is, if I scratch it one time, I'm back in that cycle. And it got me. Here's what I learned this week that I think, it just blew my mind. And, and, I, and I think it'll be helpful to you as well. For a believer, for a person who knows Jesus, when you are wrestling with sin... The temptation is, if you fall into sin and you gratify the desires of the flesh, the temptation is to say, I must not love God. I mean, look at me. Look what I've done. I, I hate God, apparently, by looking at my life. But that's not the case. It's not that you suddenly hate God and you suddenly don't love God. That's what the enemy wants you to believe because the Bible says the devil is the accuser of the brethren, right? He loves to get in there and rub it in your face and try to make you... Uh, uh, feel certain things, and he tries to break your relationship with God. What's actually going on, and this, this is something that Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote uh, years ago. He said, it's not that you hate God, it's just that the enemy has convinced you that that which is a desire of the flesh is more pleasurable than God. It's not that you hate God, it's that you have forgotten God. And that's what happens. 
When the flesh is calling out your name, wanting you to do something that is against God, because you're looking here and you're focused here, the goodness of God becomes hidden. The pleasure of God becomes hidden. The person of Jesus becomes hidden. We forget that Jesus Christ died on a cross and then went to a grave, but on three, after three days, he busted out of that thing and proved that death, hell, and the grave have no power over him. We forgot that he bled and died so that all of my sin debt could be forgiven. We would never sin if we remembered truly what he did on a cross. But what the enemy does is causes us to focus here and forget the goodness of God and then we suddenly go down this way. When you're riding a bicycle, it's called, called target fixation. If you're riding a motorcycle, that's what it's called too. If you're riding anything, did you know that as you're going down the road, if you look at something, that's where you're going to go? You're like, don't fall, don't fall, don't fall. Okay, I fell. You know what they teach you when they're teaching you how to ride a motorcycle? If you're going around a curve, you don't look at the curve. You don't look at the tire. You look that way where you're going. And when you're looking that way, your body will follow that way. But when you fixate on the target, that's when you fall. Here's the principle here. When we are targeted, when we are fixing our eyes on the enemy or on the sin, on the physical pleasure, we forget the goodness of God. We forget the power of God. We forget the satisfaction that comes from God. So we need to shift our eyes, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. We need to shift our eyes from the momentary pleasure to the author and the perfecter of our faith. And the Bible says that when we do that, verse five, chapter 5, that when we do that, if we are led by the Spirit, we are not under the law. Translated, we are not tied to the guilt and to the shame and to the the, the confines of the law when we are being led by the Spirit. Because when we are looking to Jesus and we are led by the Spirit, there is an enormous sense and reality of freedom. Here's the best example I can give to you of that, okay? So when I was in Nashville as a college student, I had a truck. It was a Dodge D-150. I painted it myself with spray can. Psh. But see, this truck, although it was a good running truck, it was older and it had some emissions problems. And in Nashville, you had to go through this little testing site. They stuck a little breather tester thing up your tailpipe. They had you turn the engine on and it would record the emissions. And you had to be under a certain level in order to drive legally in the city, really in Tennessee. So I went and I realized that I failed. And I went a couple more times, and I failed, and I failed, and I failed, and I got to where I could no longer afford to keep being tested because I knew I was going to fail. There was a law. I did not pass the requirements of the law, but I had to drive anyways, and so the way I drove was always looking over my shoulder. And as I drove, if I saw a cop, I would pull into a parking spot, or I'd pull in front of a car where they couldn't see my tag because you had a little sticker that said you were, you were emissions passed or not. I was driving guilty for a couple of years, and it was always weighing on the back of my mind, when am I going to get caught? When am I going to get caught? When am I going to get caught? And then I met somebody who told me, I can solve your problem. 
He said, if you take and you drain your tank, put a little bit of gas, and you put this other stuff in there, and then you run really, really, really fast to the the emissions place, then you stop and you let them test it, you will pass the test because your emissions in that moment will be where they need to be. I believe the word of the person who told me this because I was out of options. And so I did what he said to do. I drove to the place, and I pulled in, and they stuck that thing up my tail pop, and they came back and said, here's your sticker, sir. You've passed. I was so excited because I was finally legal that I drove around for the next couple of days looking for cops. I was just driving around. I was like, see me? I'm free, baby. That sense of freedom is what happens when you believe the message of the cross. When you believe that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through Him. That freedom is what happens when you are forgiven, when you are justified from all the sin you've ever done and everything you ever will do because you are made right with God once and for all. And as God is sanctifying you, He is making you more and more like Himself in how you look and how you think. In fact, the way you know you're most like Him is when your life is displaying the way He is by what we call the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5, when you live by the Spirit, here's what it looks like. Verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That is freedom. Say, well, Jeff, what do I do? Psalm 119 tells us what to do. Your word, O God, have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. It really is that easy. Don't scratch. But instead of scratching, instead of looking, being drawn in, shift your eyes to that which is perfect, and that is the law of God. Turn and fix your eyes upon Jesus. And when you do that, He fills you with the Spirit and gives you power over sin. Don't hear me saying that it's a magic bullet, that it's a pill that you take. No, no. You will deal with this very fight every single day the rest of your life. But the more you resist the devil, the Bible says that he will flee. Now, he's going to come back. But that's all right. Because you know what we know? We have his playbook. We know every scheme that he has. The Bible says that we shouldn't be unaware of his schemes, that like, like he's going to surprise us with a new attack. No, 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 no. Everything that he has in his arsenal, he's already shown us. Or he, he's already done and God has shown us in his word. That's why his word tells us what we need to know to identify, oh, he's being deceptive. He's being a liar. He's being a thief. He's being a murderer. He's being an accuser. He's being a well, whatever, Right? When we can call him out, we can flip on the light. We can go, hey, you can't hide anymore. You can't surprise me because I know what you are doing. My prayer for us today is this, that we would leave this place not on a spiritual high, but we would leave this place with a firm resolve to fight the enemy's schemes and to be holy because Jesus said, be holy because I am holy. 
but it's really a work of the Spirit that causes us to be that way. Amen? Does that make sense? This morning, if you're here and you've not ever placed your faith in Jesus, I've already told you how to do it. Now it's just your turn. It's by grace you're saved through faith, not of works. This morning, do you need to take a step of faith and trust Christ? This morning, are you wrestling with sin in such a way that it's just got you condemned? There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What God does is rescue the helpless. What He does is redeem the spent. What He does, He restores the broken. That's our God. Close your eyes if you will for just a moment. What is it that you need to do today? What part of this message, what part of this passage, what verses today have gripped you?